Hello again, everybody. Welcome to episode six of the Italian Football Daily Podcast. You're listening to this podcast uh, here with myself, Joe Sirocco, at Joe Antonio C on Twitter, uh, joined by my colleagues and friends, uh, Matt Santangelo, at Matt underscore Santangelo on Twitter, and uh, my other colleague and big Milanista, Luca Laporta. You may know him from the Milan Guys podcast, a uh, regular contributor for Italian Football Daily. Uh, we'll be recapping the Serie A from this past weekend, uh, a couple of interesting scenarios that went down, uh, as well as some other interesting things that are coming up uh, during this uh, break. And you can follow Luca the Milanista at Luca underscore Laporta on Twitter, and of course on our main Twitter account, at ItalianFD. Gentlemen, how are you guys doing? Doing pretty well, Joe. How are you guys? I'm doing good, man. Thanks for having me again. Doing well, boys. Uh, it's always a pleasure. So let's get right down to it. Uh, some some interesting things happened this weekend. Uh, the 17th week, round 17 of uh, of this Serie A season. Started off Inter, uh, first loss of the season. Uh, going uh, all this time without a loss. Uh, serious uh, Scudetto contenders. Uh, losing at home to an unlikely foe uh, at Udinese, who's been reborn under uh, Massimo Odo, their new coach. Uh, Matt, tell us a little bit about what transpired for all our uh, Inter fans and for Serie A fans. How how did this happen? Well, first off, and I, I know for everyone who's listening now um, and who also listened to the previous episode, and me and Joe were chatting about any possible matches that um, it kind of you know, caught our eye for this past week, of course. And um, I mentioned Inter Udinese as that one that could have been a little bit of a you know trickier uh, fixture for for Inter. And I obviously gave my reasons. I don't know why I had something that came up with this match. And sure enough, Udinese delivered. I mean, they delivered a pretty strong performance in the first half. I think you know they had a, they looked a little bit shaky in certain areas. Obviously, Inter has that capability of doing that, especially under Spalletti this year. Icardi opened up the scoring. I think he moved within the top ten of Inter's all-time scoring charts, which is a pretty phenomenal task for someone who's only still, I think, twenty-four. But the second half, um, Odo really changed the mentality of this team, and they were coming out with a much hungrier approach. They were really attacking strong um, the Inter defensive back line. They were able to, uh, you know, really break down Inter ultimately and get a couple couple additional goals in, in pretty convincing fashion. Um, excuse me, they entered the half one-one with um, with Inter uh, Lasagna scored uh, just before uh, Icardi actually added on. So um, the second half, uh, I believe it was a um, clear-cut handball by Davide Santone. Santone, after VAR ruling, it was upheld. And sure enough, DePaul buried the, the uh, penalty take. And he actually had a very fantastic, a very good uh, overall game um, for Udinese in this one in a central role, which is more a little bit different than we were accustomed to seeing from him in a wider role over the past couple of years. And Antonin Borak, another Czech player that's really starting to break through in Syria, um, he added that third goal. And I think, you know, Udinese overall delivered a really convincing performance. And I think it's been a trend under Odo since he stepped in and replaced um, Del Neri, you know, at the end of November. We're seeing a little bit of a more hungrier and more um, confident approach from Odo and his entire team. You're seeing a little bit more of an exciting team that's scoring more goals. Um, certain players are stepping up and rising to the occasion. Uh, Jakob Yanto is one who has been catch, catching my eye and many others who watch Serie A frequently over the, over the course of the season. And, um, yeah, Udinese delivered a strong performance on the road at the San Siro, which is a very impressive task. And I think, you know, as we'll talk a little bit more about Odo and what he's done with this team, but 
I think it was one of those games where, you know, obviously Inter didn't have it all in the second half. And I think they maybe didn't expect Udinese to come out with that approach after the whistle. But all credit to them, all credit to Odo for what he's been able to do with this team in, in really little time, in about, about a month. And um, I think he has them right where they where he right where he wants them as a middle mid table team and something that they can continue to continually build off in the second half of the season. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, sorry, go ahead, Luca. I uh, just so, add on to that um, with Udinese and Aldo, the job he's doing. I I don't, I don't have a table in front of me right now, but I, I'm fairly sure that Udinese is only three points behind behind Milan and uh, Atalanta. That's, I think Udinese are at twenty one points right now. And Milan and Atlanta are at 24 in the seventh and eighth spot. So, you know, if, if they keep this this uh, this start or this start with Aldo up and they, they keep consistent, uh, they could they could definitely see themselves, you know, fighting for a Europa League uh, spot come come April May. Also, just to add on to that, um, you bring up a good point that they're only three points back of Milan. They also have a game in hand. Oh, they do. I forgot about that. Udinese have, have played 16 games versus everyone host, who's for most part has played 17 games with the exception of uh, Roma, Lazio, and Samp. So, I mean, it just goes to show you how, how some of these teams are kind of creeping into the conversation and really with a couple good weeks are kind of surpassing certain teams and really trying to make a name for themselves in that chase for Europa League. I mean, they're not far off and they got a half a season under a different yeah. coach with a different mentality. You never really know. Mm-hmm. For sure. And it... it it's going to be interesting. I mean, City has right now the most competitive league, league in the world, you know, as far as the table goes. And the the table, we've seen it over the years. It just changes so many times. Like every every week, every two weeks, it always changes. Teams always, like, flip up around. And, you know, teams can put a string of, you know, three, four wins, wins together. And three times they get nine, 12 points there. They go from 11th to 7th in no time, right? So it would be interesting. It's hard to predict you know, who the top 10 is going to be right now. It's really hard. Uh, teams are shuffling around, and I don't know. It's going to be – it's been a great, you know, City uh, season so far competition-wise. And, uh, you know, team, I like I like teams like Udinese making it more competitive. You know, like I don't, want, I don't like teams just packing it in and, and just like the big team just, you know, killing it every time. I like how Udinese went to San Siro with the mentality to win, not just, you know, holding to a draw. Because they did go 1-1 at the halftime, right? So – it went in one one and a half time, and a lot of coaches, especially you know, playing against Inter, Inter, who are who've had a fantastic start in our first half of the season. I can't believe it's probably the first half of the season, but uh, had a fantastic start to the City uh, campaign, and they're you know, there's definitely Scudetto favorites, not favorites, but in the in the conversation, in the top three conversation, you know, with a top striker like Mauro Riccardi, and you know, you know, he did score, but holding them off and holding Inter off at at home. Like away from home, sorry, it's huge for them for sure. Uh, yeah, going back to uh, Udinese, they've always had uh, great prospects uh, coming in uh, that were sold off. Alexis you know, Sanchez, Alexis Sanchez uh, being one of many. Uh, now, now Jakub Yankto seems to be uh, a, a very complete midfielder. Seko Fofana is another one. Fofana has been been excellent as well. The guy can run; he's a horse out there. Yankto can he can really do it all. He can pass, he can score, he can create, he tackles. Uh, he'll definitely be a target in the off season uh, for some team either in Europe or within Italy. That's definitely a player I see being sold for for a big profit. Uh, but I just like the way that Udinese played uh, offensively. The first goal from Kevin Lasagna, which was uh, by the way best name ever in sports, uh, clearly. Uh, great, I don't know. I think I think there's a couple. 
Like, I think it's a couple who might contest him for that. It's a couple yeah. uh, funny names. Oh, in the city, yeah, I think that's uh, every time I see that player on the score sheet or, or just I hear the name, it's just I love it. <laughs> I love I uh, love the guy. But he had a great goal, uh, well placed goal. Uh, I noticed earlier in the season under their old coach uh, Udinese had really trouble building up play, and they were kind of erratic all over the place. Now uh, Massimo has really gotten them structured and playing a very nice brand of uh, a passing brand of football, uh, a beautiful style. Um, and that's why they've they won four or five in a row. And uh, as you guys mentioned, they're very close to the Europa League. Uh, six, seven place are about three points away from Atalanta and Milan uh, up there with a game in hand. So that's going to be a tight race to get to the Europa League. And again, we, we've known this and people who watch the league every week in, week in and week out know that this is one of the most exciting seasons, uh, not just at the top, but also middle of the pack and as well in the relegation zone, bottom half of the table. It's anyone's guess at this point where these teams are going to finish. Anybody can can place anywhere, which we haven't seen in a long time. And it definitely is a stark contrast to some of the other European competitions we've seen in other leagues around Europe this time. So uh, Udinez is definitely an up-and-coming team. Definitely uh, interested to see how, what they can do coming up uh, in the new year. Uh, and speaking of the new year, this for, for those uh, listeners out there who don't know this, usually Serie A would take a two-week break. This would be the last week usually uh, in years prior and years past. This would be the last week. But uh, Serie A is taking a different approach. They are making it more like England and most recently Spain. There will be no winter break this time. They're just going to go right ahead and get at it, uh, being a World Cup year as well. And also for attendance and... Uh, television reasons for viewership. They've decided to forego their antiquated tradition. So this is the second last week before the midpoint, which is week 19 next week. And boy, do we have a hell of a race on our hands so far. So what I wanted to talk about next, gentlemen, Massimo Odo, uh, you guys, what do you think of him specifically, Matt? I know you, uh, you really like him as a coach. What do you like that he's done with Udinese? Uh, for those that don't really watch Udinez a lot, what do you think of his tactics and why do you think he's been so successful with that team and turning them around? Um, I think, you know, for, for a manager who, let's, you know, people maybe have forgotten that he actually brought um, Pescara to uh, Serie B, Serie A, excuse me, last year um, after a fantastic season with, um, you know, them in, in Serie B. Uh, of course, that whole, the whole, that whole year with uh, La Padula and everything like that, that happened with him. Um, he got them to Syria, and then, of course, uh, Pescara were just a train wreck last year, for the lack of a better term. And, um, of course, he was sacked, and they brought Zeman in to finish the season in a, in a, in a season that saw them go back to the second tier of Italy uh, time football. And at that point, he was kind of floundering around. Um, he was kind of just really waiting for a call. And I think, you know, as everyone knows, um, or if you don't know, uh, it feels as though the Italian Serie A, it's a league that really is has a lot of has a lot of firings, sacking, rehirings, all these different things with managers, um, specifically, of course, over the past couple of years or recent memory with uh, Palermo and uh, Zamparini, which is a podcast we could talk about him for probably an hour. But, it, you know, it's, it's, always, it's funny. There's always a scene as though at some point in the season, managers are always getting fired, getting rehired and all these different things. And it kind of felt as though you know, eventually Odo would get a chance. And I think it's great that, Odo has gotten a chance with a team like Udinese, who actually has the talent around him. 
um, that he can coach and he can really implement his tactics and his style of play. He actually talked about this in his post-match press conference that, you know, at Pescara, he really didn't have the, uh, the, the personnel to carry out an, a counterattacking team a little bit more pacey, a little bit more speed, a little bit more direct, which he does clearly have with Udinese. And I think that's why we're kind of seeing him play a really attractive style of football that's bringing about a lot of goals. So for me, I think it, it, it really, you know, he's kind of one of those managers that's coming up. And I think, you know, it's, we can see him kind of follow, at least I hope, I, I think this is something that we maybe kind of could expect follow a similar trend or similar um, trajectory with his career, something along the lines of maybe a Di Francesco, someone who maybe was kind of in and out of jobs, then finally got an opportunity to coach in this area, maybe has a couple years at Udinese where he does well, and then maybe gets a bigger job in a couple years' time. Um, and I think that's kind of what we can possibly see with them, provided, of course, Udinese is able to keep some of these young players in the fold over the next couple of years, or at the very least, reinvest in younger talent when they do sell off because obviously as a team like Udinese it's very difficult for them to keep the stars much like it is for some of the teams in the bottom half of the table so that's where it really is important to have a a good coach with a great mind and great ideas and a good mentality overall to administer to his guys regardless of who he has so that's kind of where I've been most impressed with Udinese with Odo is the fact that he's been able to step in so quickly and implement the style he really wasn't able to implement at Pescara and do it so quick. For sure. That's a good point. I think, like, honestly, Matt kind of covered all the bases there. But, uh, you know, Odo, he's, uh, he was a really, he was, I guess you can call him a Milan legend. I uh, remember a couple years ago when I went to go watch the, uh, it was Milan, Milan legends versus uh, Benfica legends. And it was in Toronto, I want to say four years ago, maybe four years ago. And Odo scored two goals for us. And I'm, you know, he's, he's a, he was a good player, and uh, I'm happy to see, you know, a former player. And he's, he's still young. I think he's early 40s, same age as Gattuso. And, uh, you know, I'm happy to see a young coach, especially like like Matt said, you know, in the city, yeah, a lot of firings, hirings, rehirings, you know what I mean? It's all drama and stuff there. So, you know, he's doing a really good job, and, you know, I, it's still early, and I hope he can keep it up. But, you know, if he keeps this up, I think he might sign a long, long-term contract with Udinese. Stay in Eze for you know a couple of years maybe and you know quite possibly you could see him at a top five city at club maybe you know you got you got to make that step that that step from like a Udinese like a mid table club you make that step to to a bigger club and uh, you know it could happen and uh, you know from from what I've seen I only I didn't catch Inter Udinese on the weekend I saw I watched like a ten minute recap of it so I kind of saw you know just like more chances and stuff like that and Udinese their build up play looks very nice and. Uh, have, uh, they have ideas, you know, they have an idea of what to do with the ball, and especially just going, going to San Siro and attacking like that, you know, it's, it's very positive for them, and uh, it's just good for City A in general, to be honest with you. For sure, those are great points. Again, it's great to see not only younger players being played, but also young coaches up and coming. As we know, City A has produced some of the best coaches in the world. The best coaches in the world come from Italy. Massimo Odo could very well be next in line in this generation of great uh, young coaches, former players turning into great coaches. As we continue on, uh, this is the Italian Football Daily Podcast with Joe Siracco, Matt Santangelo, and Luca Laporta. Gentlemen, let's go through some of the other matchups uh, from this weekend. So we had Napoli beating Torino 3-1, maintaining their pace, uh, and with the interloss, retaking the lead in Serie A. Uh, So now they have their first. Juve comfortably beat Bologna 3-0 in a match that really didn't trouble them. 
And Lazio-Atalanta produced a very thrilling uh, match that we, uh, myself and Matt, in our last podcast had predicted would be the game of the round. And uh, we were right. Uh, very exciting game, a lot of drama and tons of goals. So what were your guys' impressions on this weekend for the other top clubs at the top, uh, Roma as well? Um, I thought the Napoli-Torino game was a big match that Napoli really did need. I think after the past couple of weeks, they obviously, you know, the defeat to Juve and, and everything like that, losing first place, not qualifying for the, um, the, the round of 16 in the Champions League. I think they really did need um, a big performance and to really get um, a big victory to kind of get back on their feet and re- kind of reclaim their spot. And sure enough, they did. I mean, they went they entered the break with a 3-0 lead over Torino. Um, Kulibaly, Zielinski, and Hamšík, who actually tied uh, Diego Maradona for uh, Napoli's all-time leading scorer. So congrats to him on that. That's a fantastic achievement for a guy you know, even as a as a known Milan fan, um, has always grown to appreciate and love. I just I just think he's kind of been one of those players that um, you know, regardless of who what your affiliation is, you have respect for his loyalty, for his dedication to uh, for the team and that city. And I think you know that was a, a big match for them that um, most fans are hoping can kind of get them back into controlling the Scudetto. Again, I think it's going to be very tight, obviously, until the very end with teams like um, Juventus, who obviously pulled out a big um, victory on the road against Bologna. Pjanic, fantastic performance once again, striking from the free kick. Mattia Dicillo was a, a, a standout performer in this game, obviously. You know, it's taken some time and, and some patience, but I think in t- overall, he's starting to play really well. And obviously, um, you know, it's not surprising when you consider the fact that he had his success at Milan under Allegri. And then I think that's where you're kind of seeing that all come back full circle in Turin. Roma, Roma got a big victory and a, a thrilling one, to say the least. And uh, a, a 94th minute goal by uh, Federico Fazio. Big victory from them. And there was the, there was the, there was the handball, and actually uh, Perotti missed the penalty, which you know oh, it, no, looked, it, looked, it looked it looked like it was going to be a disaster performance from Roma, and again, one of those matches where if you're Roma, they become they start to become magnified because you feel like you have control of the game, maybe not on the scoreboard and what it says, but you feel at home against a team like Cagliari that if you're our legitimate threat for the Scudetto, that you should handle these teams and kind of keep the pressure on those around you. But this would have been a big loss for Roma if they weren't able to, to pick this one out. And let's be real, Fazio saved them. Regardless of the handball, no handball uh, you know, decision, you know, th- that it, it was a big victory for Roma to kind of keep pace with the others. So um, again, this week, this week was kind of in line with what the entire year has been about with Serie A. It's been very tight. Very, impre- uh, very exciting round to round. There's always been, you know, certain headlines and certain matches that have kind of just caught our attention each week. And I think this was no different. Milan, well, uh, I don't know what to really say about that. <laughs> but I, can, I, can, I can weigh in on If you want to talk about Milan, because I think yeah. I've already kind of, um, you know, had my piece over and over again about Milan this year. So I would say, yeah, away. let's yeah, just talk can, about it. But, uh, yeah. you know, let's not beat a dead horse. Uh. <laughs> no, but, you know, you have to mention it because it did happen. Um, I think we, I think, especially having Milanista, you know, it's, I think we'd be, you know, cheating the podcast rules if we just skipped over, you know what I mean? But, you know, another 6.30 a.m. wake up for me here in Canada. Uh, the last, I think it's been for 6.30, for a lunchtime fixture in Italy for Milan, I think it's been 
five since we've won the last one. We won. Uh, we beat Crotone the last 6:30 a.m. Uh, match. It was last like December or something. Or uh, Lapadula scored the winner in the 86th minute. Aside from that, Milan never win the 6:30 fixture uh, for a 12:30 fixture in Italy. Again, a pretty. And it's really hard because. You know, and I say this with no bias at all, but they came out, they came out the gate, out of the out the gates, you know, firing. They were they were all over Verona. They had a couple chances. Uh, Bolini put Suzu in on a one on one, and uh, you know he it was a nice shot, but it was all, probably a better save. And Suzu get another chance, and the the, the defender blocked in. Um, you know, there was a few Milan had a few chances. They had, they put a few shots wide. Um, you know, and, and whatnot, kind of like how it's been for most games this season, uh, not being able to score. Um, and then Verona came, kind of came back out of nowhere off a corner, and eight Milan defenders are in the box, four Verona attackers are in the box. You do the math. Um, for so, Somehow a bullet header goes, hits the crossbar, his donor was back off the post or, and in. Uh, you know, Verona go go halftime one nothing. Gattuso makes a change. Uh, he brings on uh, Patrick Cutrone for Ricardo Rodriguez. Uh, Gattuso, he did. I I think uh, Matt, did you tweet this as well? I tweeted it. Gattuso, I think he got the I think he got the starting eleven wrong on Sunday. I think he should have went with the same lineup he he did on Wednesday with the Coppa Italia because my opinion is in every single sport, you know, if if it's not broken, don't fix it. If you win, a winning lineup shouldn't change, you know, especially if everybody's fit. And I, and I think everybody was fit uh, because Silva and Kutrona did come on. So that we could have seen that. The the main problem that, that lost me on the match, especially in the second half, Nuna had a couple chances in the second half as well, but they were, they were killed in the counter twice. Verona were so clinical. They had four shots on net. Three of them were goals. Uh, and the one was like a roll of Donnarumma. wasn't even he didn't have to, like Donnarumma didn't make a save. I don't think he made a, a challenging save all match. So Venona had almost 100% conversion rate. Uh, you know, kudos to them. They they're finishing. The, they're they're pretty clinical on the counter. Um, and Gattuso made as I was saying, Gattuso made the change of uh, when he put Cutrone on. He put Fabio Borini at left back, uh, and then so that kind of changed things up. And Borini more or less, was, was at fault for Moise Keane's goal, the second goal. Uh, he left him unmarked in the box. I guess he missed him. He, he was with them, and he kind of left them. And the third goal, Bonini lost the ball, and they came back and, and, and countered again and, and made it 3 nothing, which was lights out for Milan. Obviously, it's, it's on the players, too. They should be beating Verona. And they had the chances. They had, they had 30 shots directed. They had 30 shots attempted, so wide blocked. They had 30 shots, uh, again, compared to Verona's four. Can I just say this? So can I just add to this? You know, because I, I know it's, it's – it's, listen, we can talk about stats all day. And yeah, this, I this, know. This I is know. Just, this, listen, I think, you know, obviously – and that's, again, that's where I always say stats are – they're a complementary tool to, to what we actually, actually observe with the teams, right? So if you look at, you know, the fact that Milan – Yes, they had 30 chances, but the fact that you can't bury one, two, three of them. I'm not, I'm not even talking. I mean, yes, they lost 3-0. But 
But if you obviously if they were able to score one or two goals here and there, the tide of the the the, the match would have it would have changed. It would have been much different in it my does. opinion. And I think you know maybe the Suso red card doesn't come about. Maybe that you know then you yeah, don't see that no, come into play for the next game. You know what I'm saying? So I, I think that for me that's it's it's look. Gattuso, before we transition and we get to other topics, because I think, you know, this has been something we've been talking about and many have been talking about ever since Gattuso got in. The tactical side of things is where most people are going to really judge him. The, the, the energy, getting the, the, you know, you know getting, getting the players to, to be motivated, I think that's, that's not the issue. I think that'll come. And I don't think that's the problem with what this team has, because I saw a hungry team. I saw a team that where you know, they were moving with pace, they were moving with energy, everything like that, and you kind of thought they were going to get a goal at some point. Um, but they didn't make – they didn't – listen, they weren't clinical. Ellis Verona, they had a couple shots. They buried no. their, those same shots. And at the same time, this when – you, when you look at how lopsided and how roller coaster this season has been, results like this, yeah, maybe not 3-0 – but these results are not they're not surprising to me because this is what the entire season has been like for Milan. A couple good games. I mean, look at this. The days earlier they beat Elas Verona. Yes, it maybe a different lineup and they were at home, but to com- completely sh- sh- play like this and they have this score line, that it's it's kind of just typical Milan for this season and I think that's what it Milan is. that's that's what Milan fans are listen. That's what Milan fans are, have just kind of have to realize and have to expect that with a t- with a guy like Gattuso, who's what has what fourth game in charge in all competitions, he, uh, he has a loss. His first loss. It, this is his first loss. Yes, granted, Hellas Verona, they should be able to handle them no problem. Hellas Verona are, are one of those teams, and and I, I think the numbers say they did. But again, you gotta you gotta bury your chances. You, you, with these teams like Hellas Verona, if you let them linger, especially at home, and you don't get a goal and you don't take the most of your chances that you get to put these teams away. You keep them in, and that's exactly what happened in this one. They were yeah. down 1-0 at half, and, 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 yeah. and they didn't do what they had to do in the second half to, to, to change the tide of this match. They made the substitutions. I felt Gattuso, you know, coming out with the substitution of Gutrone at halftime was a good move, but I didn't understand why he took him yeah, out for Rodriguez, and then he brought Borini in yeah, there, no. who, who, although has been a pretty good player for Milan, all things considered this year, you're throwing him into a different role mid-game, and again, I yeah. think that's where you start to see his tactical Gattuso's tactical, um, you know, flaws or criticisms of, of of the past come in. So again, this is not surprising for me to see Milan play like this and get this type of result. I just hope that it's not something that lingers and it's something that they can kind of re- rebound in training because Lord, Lord knows that Gattuso is probably you know. You know, choking people right now, and there's gonna oh, yeah. be no, there's gonna be no, yeah. uh, there's gonna be no Christmas celebration. So, yeah, um, that's, it, yeah. that's I wasn't surprising. Well, yeah, they they canceled their. Uh, Borini, yeah, sorry, Joe. Yeah, sorry, yeah, go, yeah, go ahead about Borini. Yeah, no, they yeah. Just to add on, um, before we talk about the Christmas thing, which is good in my opinion, Borini has done very well this season, and he's done well on the right at the right back. Uh, so putting him at left back like Gattuso did was he's a, he's right footed he's been, he's been better he's been very good on the right I think he leads our team in assists this season I think he's tied uh, with Suso but uh, maybe I, he's tied with Suso maybe maybe uh, actually but mid game I don't listen if you're gonna change yeah. the guy the point is if you're gonna change the guy and you're gonna I don't know what they I don't know listen we don't know what what Gattuso tried at training we don't really know maybe he tried Barini at at left back with the, with the intention of saying well if we go down and we need to make a change at halftime. Maybe Barini, we could slot him in as kind of a, a, a safety net to play left back. Yeah. Who knows? And my thing is, if you're going to play, 
if you're going to make that decision blindly in the middle of a game, you got you to gotta assume that at least Gattuso tried it in training at some point. Otherwise, that's, a, <laughs> that's, that's really alarming to throw a guy who mid-game oh, yeah. is going to have to adjust positions and, and, and play a role and expect to do anything of, of, of significance. Yeah, no, exactly. And he's, he's, been, he's been kind of thrown all over, but Burini's been... You know, very, very, very good. This is very, very good. Like, very uh, a surprise for sure. And it's been at right back, at right wing back too. Put him at left back. It just, it just had, it just had, there was signs like, you know what, this this may work, this might not work. And you could tell because Bonini was on his left foot. He couldn't really dribble. He couldn't really do much because he's on his left foot. Obviously, he's not as comfortable on his left foot. But yeah, Gattuso, you know, and I love Gattuso and everything. I, 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 love, I, I believe in him. The team has looked different with him. In the four games, they really have, and I obviously, you know, and I'm not going to be biased. Tell you it's not his fault because I'd be that that would my credibility would be gone. But the players are at fault as well, of course. They're playing, they're on the field, but the the for the even the starting formation um, that he that he that he selected, he got it wrong for me, and he'll learn from that. Smaller teams, when they get a lead on you, they put 11 guys behind the ball, it makes it harder for you to score. That's why you need to score one in the first 25 minutes. You know, two in the first half, you can kill the game off. Like you said, and it's in any sport. It's in hockey. It's in soccer. It's, if you don't capitalize on your chances, you keep the other team in the game, and they'll burn you. It, it, any sport. Any sport you can name. It's, it's just how it is. And, uh, you know, it's kind of been this, it's been a lot of deja vu with me on this season. You know, again, I tweeted, I can count like three or four games where you – they dominated. They controlled the match, but didn't score, and and lost or drew. And you look at their their place in the standings right now, twenty four points. You know, you you add you know two points here if they would have scored, two points here. It would have it puts them more in the mix of things, right? And it's just you know it's all like you know what ifs. But if you really think of it that way, the problem is scoring goals, and it still is. Um, and it, it actually has improved with with Gattuso. We scored two against Benevento, two against Bologna, three against Hellas, uh, and you know, obviously we got we got we had none on Sunday. But however, there were a little more ideas. You know, Suzo should have scored in the one on one, or you know, we can we can say all that. But Honestly, I think I think the yeah. guys the, the guys on their team they're they're under a lot of pressure. They're stressed. Yeah. They're, they're they're so lost. I think there's there's one of two things that and and we'll we'll I'll end it off with my thoughts on Milan. There's either, there's either two things. Either Gattuso resigns, they admit it was a big mistake, and and get and pay Ancelotti whatever the hell he wants. They give him a blank check and write it. It's either that or you get these guys to a retreat, go to a children's hospital, go to the Alps. You, they cancel their Christmas dinner, have a retreat, do some team bonding, do something because they are not a cohesive unit. They got to shake things up. They got to try something new, uh, and they just have to build that team spirit somehow. Get away from it all. Leave the city and go to uh, one of the suburbs, uh, Lago di Como, Lake Como, somewhere, somewhere, and in uh, Switzerland if you have to, and just <laughs> just digress and leave and leave that all behind, and just do a, a media blockage if you can, because I, you know, like in other sports, uh, you just need to digress and just really just get out of it and and leave and uh, get away from it all, and then that might help. Unfortunately, they're not going to have that Christmas break this time around. That would have really helped, like a like a bye week in in gridiron football. That would have really helped. But yeah, they just got to regroup and then and and management Fasone and and Mirabelli have to come in there too and and show their face and face the fans, face the media, 
because uh, yep. it's it, it's one big cohesive unit, and whoever their Chinese owner is, wherever he is in in Beijing or wherever the hell they they got him, he's got to show his face and and do something here because this is uh quite frankly getting out of hand and just embarrassing. So saying that, it uh, is, it is, it is. You're right. It's just it's tough. So saying that, we'll move on to uh, Champions Juventus, uh, my team. Uh, comfortable win, three 0 against Bologna. Uh, but what I really liked about this team, uh, this win, was now we're really seeing the real Juve. They're putting the pieces in together. Yeah, like last year. Uh, yeah, they're going on their their what seems to be their run. The usual second half. Once they get it together, they start firing. Solid performance overall. They're they're more cohesively uh, united on defense, whereas earlier in the season they were giving up a lot of goals uncharacteristically. So they've been pretty solid. Szczesny. Uh, great signing in the offseason uh, comes in. They essentially have two starting goalies, which is a huge help. He can come in any game, Champions League, Coppa Italia, or Serie A, and, and he can just step in right away and be that that uh, portiere, that, that the guardian in the back uh, for them. Uh, they're very, very much rounding into form defensively. And then in the midfield as well, Pjanic, fantastic game. Gedira, great game. Matuidi as well, getting the goal. Um, and they're prepping up uh, once they get into form, once they hit that chemistry, uh, who knows where they could go. And that's something that Inter and Napoli feared the whole time now that they've got their legs. Now, mind you, they're not perfect. They're still missing passes. They're still not being clinical. Uh, but the, but the, uh, the wide array of offensive weapons they have up front and, and midfielders can score as well. So that's, that's a dangerous thing to have where you could score goals but defend, not even has to have to be perfect. Uh, their defense, in my opinion, isn't as strong as it was last year. But if they can get a John, uh, get the job done enough and score, I mean, they and once they hit that form, I don't think there's anybody in Italy who can stop them if if they hit that form that they they hit last year. I think um, yeah, there's a lot of uh, it, it's gonna be it's gonna be uh, interesting for sure. I think the the big thing for them, you know, I think one of the biggest things uh, that that over the past couple of months that's really changed for them, and I think everyone here would agree, and pretty much anyone listening would agree to me with me on this, is that um, they've, you know, they've we've talked about how this has been obviously you just mentioned how defensively they haven't been as sound, and we've talked about the whole Bonucci thing and everything like that, and how that's maybe affected uh, Juventus's backline, but I think you know we're starting to finally see. Um, Benatia play very well for them, and I think that's been a big boost for them over the past month. I think he's been probably, if in my opinion, the, their best performer over the past month. I mean, Dybala hasn't been um, as strong. He's, he's kind of cooled off quite a bit since that hot start, and you, you can really see, yes, they're getting the goals, but I mean, Pjanic is playing well, Matuidi, Mandzukic, Dishio is playing well. They haven't gotten Alexandro to play to anything close to what he's been in the past couple of years for Juve. So when you start to see, you know, this is looks like it looks like it's, you know, if you're a Napoli fan, you're a Roma fan, Inter fan, everyone like that, you're probably looking around like, oh, here we go again, right? Juventus are catching fire. The players who have been maybe struggling earlier in the season or kind of been missing, they're starting to show up. They're starting to leave an impact in games where. You know, the 3-0 over Bologna, you look at it, you're, you're thinking, oh, probably Dybala, Iguain, the usual suspect score for them. It's not. It's Pjanic, it's Mandzukic, uh, Matuidi. They're starting to get those players who maybe weren't bringing it early in the season to, to rise to the occasion and play well. And it's coming at, again, that exact time where Allegri always says, and he said it earlier, he's pretty much saying the past couple of years, 
that it's 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 the second part of the season where Juve play their best football, where they really start to turn it on, and it looks to be it's going to be one of those years again. Now it's going to come up come down to well, can those teams that are at the top of the table and kind of fighting to, to kind of kick them off the throne, can they keep up? Can they keep pace? And I think, again, um, you know, as we talk about in uh, our probably our next episode of the podcast, a lot of that can depend on what teams do in the Mercato to kind of ensure that Juventus don't win their seventh. Yeah, and, uh, and uh, I just want to say, yeah, uh, no worries. Uh, just a quote from Mirlim Pjanic after the game, uh, Bologna, he was asked about uh, what he thinks, uh, why they've been rounding into form. And uh, speaking to Sky Sports, he says, I know that after six years of winning, uh, everybody in the media, all you journalists want someone else to win. You want something, something else to talk about. But the reality is that the teams in Italy, they've got to deal with us first because we're the champions and we're not going to give up this title. So when a guy comes out and says that to the journalist, you know that they mean business and you know yeah. that they're, they're really focused. They're and, hungry. The danger, and the dangerous thing is that they've got the experience of winning all these titles. And the, the difference between football versus other sports in the world is that it doesn't matter. And like Milan has shown, it doesn't matter how much money you spend or, uh, or how, who, what the names are. If, if you go, you can have a more talented starting eleven. But if you go up against a team like Juventus or Bayern Munich, who have won five, six titles in a row, they have that addiction to winning, that that uh, culture of winning, and that experience uh, to go out and and do it. You know, maybe a team has uh, on paper they've got a better talent, but these guys know each other, and they've been there and they've done it. So that's that's a big that's the big difference between Juventus and Napoli and Inter, who have played probably played better this season, but they don't have that experience of winning behind their belt. And that's what makes Juventus more dangerous than, than their talent, which is great on, on paper. It's that experience that's six years straight of, of winning. That's all they know. That's the most dangerous part about this team. And again, if they find that form and it's going to be a lot closer than it has been in years previous, but uh, I don't think they can be, uh, they can be stopped if they keep going the way, They've been doing it, and just going back to last year in the 16-17 season, both Roma and Napoli uh, had record-breaking seasons, most points in, in their history for both teams, most goals scored 94-91, and they still were four points away from winning the title. So even after all that, they still couldn't do it. So, you know, it, Juventus has been sleeping, but don't poke the bear, don't poke the giant, because they're, they're coming. And uh, depending on what they do in the Mercato, uh, some interest. They've got some money to spend to just reinforce their team. Who knows what what the future can hold? Maybe another treble, flirting with a treble potentially. Who knows? Uh, I certainly hope so, but uh, that'll be remain to be seen. But I think uh, it's, tough, rest, it's tough to get the treble, honestly. Like anything. but the rest of the league is going to take uh, the 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 rest of the league. Basically, what Pjanic was saying is, you guys better take notice because we're back. So yeah, no, it's uh, and as I was saying, I was trying to add in before. Um, you know, it, it's just. I was looking at the. I was watching a bit of Bologna Juve actually. I was uh, right after the Milan match, and you just kind of, uh, you know, I like to, I like to say it's a, a professional performance from Juventus, a, a professional three nothing win uh, away from home. Just no issues, made it simple. Chesney had to make a big save early on. Donza, I believe, I think it was Donza, um, and the at zero zero, he made a nice save. 
or maybe it was just why I forget. Um, anyways, good chance. And you know, Pianich kind of came in with a nice free kick. Mirante, Antonio Mirante didn't have a great game. I think that the first two goals were very preventable from a different goalie. However, it's still a professional performance from Juve, uh, from Allegri's men. And I think that, you know, they are finding form, you know, slowly but surely. We'll see with the, you know, the Champions League in February and stuff. They're going to play Tottenham. So, you know, we'll see. And, you know, it's going to be huge. I think uh, come May, you know, whoever the top three teams are, I think it's going to be like a three, four, maybe two, three point. It might go right to the last match day, honestly. It's going to be tight. Um, but, yeah, I know Juve are definitely looking to form. They're looking better. You know, players like uh, Benatia are looking way better than they did uh, than he did, you know, a month or two ago. He was very, he was very, very poor, uh, you know, starting the season. But now he's starting to settle in. And, yeah, we'll see. Uh, they're they're becoming more, more professional. Kind of like, uh, they're looking like they, they have been. They're looking they're now, they're looking like they have been, especially the last two years. But they're looking like that now again. And especially if they can get Dybala on form, who hasn't yeah, who has he, hasn't ha- scored. he hasn't scored in a few months. He, ha- he he's dealing with some off personal issues off the field. What are they? How do you know? Um, well, just based on the media reports, uh, there's oh. issues with uh, uh, with it with either finances. Uh, also, I mean, he broke up with his his longtime girlfriend earlier in uh, oh, in the summer that. as well. So he's got problems, uh, according to the media, love problems and financial problems. Although he's getting paid pretty well. Yeah, but, I mean, uh, like, I mean like, I, if you're going to try and make him happy, same with Alexandro. There's rumors that he's not happy there, uh, and which is contributing to his poor play. But I think the team is is united based on what what I've seen and and what they they post on social media and what the players. I, I really do feel a sense of camaraderie between them, and I think this could be overcome. Um. I mean, obviously, what happened in the Champions League final in the red dressing room was is an, is another story for another day. But that definitely cannot happen again, and it's just a big risk that they can have if that kind of implosion can happen again. That's something the management is really trying not to to do. One of the reasons why Bonucci was sent out, but I think they've got a decent cohesive unit here. And once if they can figure a way to get everybody firing on all cylinders. Uh, they'll be tough to stop, and I don't, you know, even in Europe as well. So again, they're scoring a lot of goals from different players from all over, defensemen, midfielders, forwards. And they have a lot of depth up front. So even when their stars like Higuain is was wasn't firing early on in the season, now he's 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 scoring more frequently. And Dybala was on fire at the beginning, and vice versa. Now he's quiet. Uh, they can still win, and they can still score, and they're still the leading scorers in Serie A. So they can they can win pretty big as well. So definitely um, excited about that. Uh, Napoli, going back to them, uh, a big win against Torino, more of a confidence boost than anything uh, to tell everybody that they're still the top dogs and that it's going to go all the way. Roma as well, can't forget them. that They scraped by, but that's actually uh, what I was going to get into now for you two gentlemen. Juventus-Roma at the Allianz Stadium. Uh, next week, uh, this week, December 23rd, could be a potential, well, depending on the results, could end Roma's title hopes, or it could open everything up again. Um, yeah. Of course, it's so hard to win in, in Torino. Inter played Juventus really well. Uh, it seems Roma hasn't won in Torino in, in uh, six or seven years, if I'm not mistaken. So it would be very tough. But again, they're they're playing very well this season. How do you guys think that's going to shape up for Juve? I'll give my thoughts uh, at the end, but how do you guys think that that definitely is 
one of the matches of the weekend for sure. Um, I, I think it's going to be obviously the the main the main event for round eighteen. I think obviously that's pretty clear for most people, and I think that it's, it's interesting because this has been you know a lot of a lot of people have been looking at this part of the schedule for Juventus. You know, a couple of weeks ago yeah, they had exactly. Na- they had Napoli. Now all of a sudden you have Roma. They had Inter in the span of what a month, maybe four or five match days, and this is where it's really going to prove who are the who are pretenders and who are contenders, right? So um, they obviously beat Napoli on the road in a difficult environment. They got a tie with Inter, which all things considered isn't a bad result, although I think they would probably have loved a victory and maybe they should have had a victory in that one. Um, but now all of a sudden, you, you know, they return home to uh, you know, the, the friendly confines of the Allianz Stadium, which has been a fortress for them for I don't know how long, um, regardless of the name change, of course. Uh, <laughs> um, you know, it's th- listen, this is, you know, yes, Roma had their 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 narrow victory last weekend but a team like Juventus who had a big victory and this is right where they want a team like Roma this is where they can deliver a similar blow to what they did to Napoli a couple weeks ago and really start to show everyone okay listen we're we're the favorites for the Scudetto we're we're the people that still have to be knocked off our perch it's not going to be easy and to your point Joe where you said that the the Juventus are back with the Pjanic was referring to this could be one of those games because it comes at a time where it's the half point of the season. We start entering the Mercato. And again, you know, you can really start to see, you know, Juventus kind of get a stranglehold on the league, especially if, again, Napoli maybe drop points or they tie or whatever it is because they got Sampdoria at home the same week. I think, you know, again, if we're not going to get into actual predictions of this match, I think it's obviously going to be a very good match to watch. I'm very interested to see how Di Francesco plays on the road in a tough environment like in Turin. Um, but yeah, I think this is, again, this is a big match for Juventus and one I really do think that they're going to put in a, a, a trademark performance, to say the least. Yeah, you know what? You kind of you kind of touch base on every single point, but I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be, a, like, I'm not going to call it a, a definer, but I'm interested to see how good this Roma team really is. Well, that's, that's what I'm, well, that's what I'm saying yeah. is that this because yeah. you know you want to see how a team like Roma can you want to see they're always going to look at how teams do against the best of the best and I think this is one of those yeah. matches where you know Roma can really convince a lot of people of who they are especially entering this game with a game in hand if they're able to draw and get a convincing performance overall but if they're able to get a victory now all of a sudden people are saying well Roma listen they went to the a, a difficult environment and they're able to beat Juventus who are in very good form right now off a, off a pretty shaky victory the week before that's going to give people a lot of indication that maybe this Roma team is legitimate and you know maybe Di Francesco is going to have some sort of season here yeah you know uh, it's just like yeah, you know, obviously Roma really, really, they they proved that they were there for real. That because of you know they had literally the group of death in the Champions League, and they came out on top of the they didn't just come to qualify. They came out on top of the group. Um, they were able to draw that to go at home. They were able to to draw Chelsea at Stamford Bridge, and then destroy Chelsea for nothing at home. Just squeak by Carabag in the last in the last match day of the Champions League. But hey, whatever. Um, so you know. And they got, uh, they got who they who did they draw? Who did Roma draw again? I'm drawing a blank. Uh, they drew ba- ba- Basel, yeah. Uh, no, they're uh, Shakhtar. 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 Okay. Yeah. So they got Shakhtar. So that's uh, that's uh, 
that, that, that's honestly that's a good that's a good pull for them. That's a good draw for them. Um, you know, Shakhtar's a tricky team. We we did see how tricky they were. You know, when they did beat Napoli at home. So I think it's going to be interesting for Roma too. But definitely for this game against Juve at the Allianz uh, Stadium, it's going to be interesting how uh, Di Francesco approaches it. Um, you know, I'm excited to see someone like Jacko. I think Jacko's going to have a big part in that game. Uh, you know, he'll be, you know, he's always a physical presence and he gets his shirt dirty and causes a lot of problems to, uh, to Benatti. It's probably going to be Benatti Achillini, correct, Joe? Uh, most likely. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's that's the preference that I like yeah. he's had most recently. And Benatti has been playing very well recently. Yeah, so he has, yeah. I don't, see, yeah. Um, I don't see him... Yeah. Uh, Dropping out uh, for this week, so mm-hmm. most likely. So I think Jekyll. I think Jekyll will have to. Uh, if Jekyll is able to cause some havoc between those, two, even if Jekyll doesn't score, if he's able to cause some havoc between uh, Benatti and Chiellini, uh, I think you know down the flanks, uh, you know I think Roma are gonna are gonna have a chance to uh, to definitely score at least one. Uh, you know, usually a lot of teams have trouble scoring at you know Jay Stadium, Island Stadium. Um, you know, over the past few years. And I think Roma have what it takes is to score a goal, maybe two. We'll see how Juve how Juve come out too. If we see the Juve of, of you know of October, like of uh, September October, you know it, you know it's different, right? They look at a, a totally different team, right? Like like Joe said, like Matt said, like I said. So we, we'll see. I think it's gonna be an interesting tie. It for for a prediction, it's hard, but uh, I don't know. I think I think Roma have a chance. I think they're gonna approach it, you know, thinking they could definitely come out with three points uh, in turn. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be a close game. Uh, usually these games uh, that Juventus contests against rivals, against big opponents, are usually grinding out victories. I can predict, if I can, if I may, either a 1-0 victory for Juve or a 2-1 win for Juve. It's going to, they're, they're going to, I do believe they'll win because just because they're at home and Roma will play, will, will play a, a very well tactically and technically, but... Just because Juventus are at home and they are the slightly better team, I think that they'll get a slight advantage. But it should be a very close game. I could even see them tying one win, one one. Honestly, uh, they're very close. Depending on on Jeco, if he can really inspire them, Diego Perotti, who's been pretty good, or, or El Sharawi, whoever uh, Di Francesco wants to put on the wing, uh, or have them both in there. So yeah, it, we'll see. It, I think it might be. It they, could, they could play certain, a couple different ways, but regardless, it should be a great game for everyone to watch, and it'll be very close, regardless of what what the score will be. Yeah, you know, it's gonna be a good. Game. It's gonna be a good match. I, I'm gonna hope I can. Uh, I'm hoping I can catch it. Uh, you know, hopefully I'm able to, to watch it. It's gonna be. It's gonna be entertaining. These teams aren't gonna sit back. I don't think. You know, they, they might feel each other out for the first twenty, thirty, even the first half. Maybe you know, just kind of. See, see, you know, see what happens. But you know, Di Francesco's uh, been pretty good with Roma this year. He's been, he's been good on the bench, and he's been good with his with tactics and hit his lineup moves. So we'll see. I think if El Shadawi starts, Shadawi might be able to to cause some havoc uh, against uh, Matias uh You know, his ex teammate, their ex teammates, probably friends. So I think if Shadawi does get in there, even Perotti too, it's going to be interesting. I, are we doing predictions now? Or are we wait until after after the, at the end of the show. Um, I mean, you could give your prediction now. Uh, I made my prediction. Okay, I uh, I think uh, you know what? I'm gonna go with a bold one. I think, I think Roma come out. I think Roma win one nothing this game. I, I don't, I don't know. I think Roma win one nothing with uh, they're gonna score like you know relatively early. No, not too early, but relatively early. And Juve are gonna put the pressure on. Uh, but you know, 
Roma are going to stand tall. And, and Allison, Allison is having a fantastic season so far. He's been absolutely terrific uh, between the, the pipes for uh, for Roma. So, you know, I think that's, that's a bold prediction. But, you know, it is Juve at home. So, you know, I might be totally wrong. But, hey, why not? Let's see what happens. Um, I think for me, I think, the, you know, the biggest game, before I get my result, I think the biggest part of this game is going to be uh, how Juventus, regardless of who they field up front, um, how they're able to break down the best defensive team in Italy. They've conceded 12 goals, Roma, this year. And again, you mentioned earlier, or you just mentioned rather now, um, that Allison has been a big part of their success this year. Um, defensively, collectively in the back, I mean, they've been as good as anybody in Italy. And the numbers support that. So that's going to be interesting to see how Juventus, who are obviously themselves coming into form defensively um, as one of the te- as a team that's been kind of conceding a little bit more this year than they have in previous years. Um, I think the defensive battle between the two teams is going to be a big role in who ultimately leaves this game with uh, points. Um, that said, I actually do think um, Juventus, based on their current form and how they've been handling um, teams in big matches, I do think Juventus is going to get a victory here, a narrow one. I'm going to say 2-1, and I actually do think Dybala is going to get back on the score sheet for the first time in quite some time and really start to um, get back in scoring ways that, you know, that, that, that we're accustomed to seeing of him. Yeah, that's a, a pretty bold uh, – actually, I could see that happening uh, depending on if he's starting or if, start if he comes course, off the yeah. bench. Or he could even come off the bench. Yeah, I could see him being a, maybe a free kick goal or, or something anything to get to get his confidence up because the kid really needs it so i think this is a good environment too he's getting like i said he's he, this is also the fact that he's coming home to play in a in a game in, a, in a, a big match i think if there's if there's a time for him to break out of this funk and i think this is something that maybe is going to cross allegri's mind you know in the during training and in the build-up to this match is to play dibala because there's a good chance that he'll use this match and he'll really kind of break free and get back to his uh, scoring ways for sure, and I'm sure everyone, uh, all Juventini, want to see that, and all fans of Serie I would love to see that because he is one of the stars of of our league. Uh, and speaking of stars of our league, a former star of our league, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, something maybe that might catch our uh, listeners off guard a little bit, but uh, former Italian international Mario Balotelli uh, was in the news oh, recently. Wow. His future at Nice is uncertain at this point. Um, he's uh, the owner of the team has come out and said uh, that, or the manager rather, that they don't really intend to sign him next year. Um, I think he's had a great uh, season so far, and he's he's matured definitely from uh, years uh, prior. He's uh, smartened up a little bit, uh, so good for him. He's become a father. He's caring for his kids, and he, he's not he's not the petulant uh, guy that we were we were so used to five six years ago. Um, if he does leave it, uh, in Fr- uh, Ligue 1, Ligue 1 in France, uh, where do you guys see him uh, returning? Because, I mean, the guy's only 27 years old, mm-hmm. so he's not old by any means. And he, a yeah. potential potential recall to the national team now that there will be a whole a whole change, yeah. changeover now with, uh, with the new president, new coaching, and pretty much a brand new scorched earth policy. He could very well be a candidate to come up in a call-up at some point. But where do you guys see him in the 2018 season? Because he does have some options. Um, uh, yeah, man, you, you, you can go ahead. Yeah. Okay. Um, I mean, I think for me, I think, you know, you touched on the, the fact that 
Um, you know, it's unlikely that he'll return, um, not because, obviously, uh, Nice wouldn't want to keep him. I mean, he's been fantastic this year for Nice, and really since he arrived um, at them last summer, um, you know, this year he has, I think, 10 goals in the league. He's one of the top, I believe, one of the top scorers in the league, I think, behind Cavani and a few others. But, yeah, but, but I, Right, right. So, I mean, he's, he's, he's scoring goals, which seems like every week, and he's doing them in a tremendous fashion, which kind of shows that, you know, he's not in, in the headlines for the wrong reasons. He's in the headlines for the right reasons, and that just means that he is has turned things around, and football is his main priority right now, and, and he's taking it very seriously, you know, although Nice isn't really playing that. We're not playing terribly, but they're in sixth, and I think it's unlikely they – they made the oh, chance you know next year. I mean, listen, they they could they could still qualify for Europa League and everything like that. But I think you know, obviously he he's he's on, he's out of contract in the summer, and for a guy who's a Viola client who demands a high wage, there's a good chance that off a really good year, there's there's it's unlikely he stays. That's just I think how it is. I think he as much as he'd love to, because I think he's definitely enjoying his time with uh, his current club. I think there's a good chance that. Um, you know, he's going to be getting a, a big move in the summer. Now, for me, I've, I don't think it's going to be at the team like Milan, Inter, Juve, anyone like that. I think there is a good chance that he does return to Italy for a team that's kind of on the fringe that maybe wants to compete for, you know, a Champions League, make that next step. I mean, I would have loved to see him the past couple of years at a team like Sampdoria. I think a tremendous uh, project they have been built, uh, been building over the past couple of years with a lot of young talent and veterans like Quagliarella and you know Silvestri in the back, Viviano and all those things, all those guys right there. But again, I don't think they can afford you know his wage, and I think that's going to be the biggest factor here. Is I think he'll definitely have plenty of suitors, but it's ultimately going to come down to who can afford him off such a big year. So I think that's going to be something that's really going to be difficult to determine right now. Um, but I think, you know, look, people who, who know Balotelli, they know his story. They know everything about him, everything he's been through, everything like that. Um, they should just be happy to see a guy like him thriving once again and, again, uh, you know, staying out of the headlines and just focusing on football and not, you know, letting those get the best of him and just letting him letting his talent shine through. So um, it's definitely exciting to see and, and something I hope he definitely keeps up with eventually a, a dirty call up coming up sooner rather than later. Yeah, you know what, and here's you know what, I'm kind of gonna go a little bit opposite to Matt. Um, not disagreeing, just going a little opposite way. So you know, Super Mario, I, I've been he's been my favorite player since I fell in love with him in 2012 uh, at the Euros. Honestly, when he, I, I just I loved him, and I I've had him and stuff like that. And I remember I kept the the next day after he scored against uh, the Germany after the big two goal performance there in the paper the next day. There was a huge headline, a picture of my. I, I cut it out. I put, I put it above my, you know, where my computer was, stuff like that. Like, and I was like, this is a young, this was a, a thirteen-year-old me, right? So, you know, I and then uh, a couple of years, a year later, a year later, a year and a half later, he made his move to Milan, which I was so happy. But I, I was on Twitter. I, I wish I can go back to my old tweets. I had another account. I, I wish I can go back. I remember I was so excited. And I, I've always loved his playing style. I've always thought that he's had so much technical ability. He's so good on the ball. I know consistency was a huge thing for immaturity. I know that. But, like, technically speaking, skill, ability, there's not many players I've seen who have the on-ball ability of Balotelli. When he wants to, nobody can take the ball off of him. And it's rare for a, for a big striker like him. 
you know, and he's he's a he's a he's a physical beast. He's big. He's he's strong. He can run. I remember uh, in the 2014 World Cup for for Azzurri before the World Cup, he was the fastest player on the team in the, in the uh, 100 meter dash, whatever they did, whatever 40 yard. I don't know what it was, but they did it, and he was the fastest one. It's like wait, he was the fastest one, really? He's I think he's a freak. And I think he's awesome. Um, and he's doing that in Nice. Ever since he arrived there, he's been scoring almost every single game. This season, he's been absolutely fantastic. I, I have this service called The Zone in Canada. It's a streaming service. So I'm actually able to watch uh, League One games. So I've actually watched, tuned into a few Nice games to see Balotelli. And, and, and also when they're in Europa League, too, I've watched a couple. And he just looks like he's a, he's a, he's a leader on that team. And, and they, his uh, coach, uh, Favre, Favre he, he actually... Uh, said that he's a, one of the leaders in this team and I remember the one video that they were they conceded three goals in 10 minutes to Marseille and, and Balotelli went in the locker room he was yelling like you know trying to rally the troops up and he's a leader he's, he's you know his, his teammates look up to him and, and they as they should and I, again he does have two kids now so you know he's, he's more mature now and I think people are painting them with the wrong brush they're looking at Balotelli when he was 21 years old they're not looking at him as a 27 year old striker who's scoring a lot of goals and the Nice uh, president did say that we want to keep him, but if we don't qualify for Champions League, we we can't afford him, obviously, right? Like Matt said. And that's why, you know, when he said someone like Sampdoria, Sampdoria probably won't be able to afford Mario Bottelli's wages either. Um, right, right. Point. That's what, And that's what I'm saying. So that, that's yeah. why it's mm-hmm. it's going to, you know, he's not going to, a team like Juve, or they're, they're stacked, you know, Inter no. have some options up front. I'd love that. It's going to be interesting to see where he I mean, listen. Of course, I think people. Yeah. I think most people, and you, Joe, you would even agree with me on this. That we would love to see a guy like Balotelli not only get returned to the Azzurri, but come back to Italy because that's where he had, you know, he carried Milan to the Champions League when he arrived, and and, and yeah. all those different things. So we would love to see him back in Italy. Mm-hmm. But again, it's really going to be interesting to see where he lands because who knows? Maybe he decides to explore, yeah. Um, yeah. you know, a league where he can get a good pay, but he could also you know, be the leader of a team, as you just mentioned, that he's, yeah. he's come at in, in, uh, yeah. in France. So yeah. who knows? Uh, I mean, honestly, I would love to see him uh, there back in Italy, but I don't know if that's realistic based on the fact that in the past, he said he doesn't want to go back to yeah. Italy several times. Uh, I don't know how they're going to receive him here or in Italy, how he would come back to said, yeah, obviously he'd, he want to be paid a lot. Like you guys mentioned wages, for some of these provincial teams, unless he's willing to get a pay cut, yeah, um, he might be able to. But I would love to see him uh, come to MLS, honestly, because he's exactly what the league wants. He's a recognized player, has a good social media presence. He's talented. He's only 27, hitting his uh, right now in his prime. He can make. He knows how to speak English. You can market the hell out of that guy, and if he puts his head on straight, you, you've got a great marketing machine. Which he has for for MLS. The other, and he'll be paid handsomely eight, between eight and ten million dollars American. Yeah, he, yeah, he would. He would. Um, or he could go to China and get twenty million. Who I knows? Hope so. No, I hope not. I don't think. I don't think Balotelli will ever go to China. I think he want. I don't think. I think as you know, I've, I've watched so many interviews with him. I listen to him. I, I hear what he says, and I think he. I don't think he would go to China. Uh, I think he wants to be in the European spotlight. Do you know what I mean? I think he wants to be because he's always said he wanted to be. He he's seen Graziano Pelle. He moved to China. And of course, he's not going to get a call up anymore, right? No one even he's off the, he fell off the map, right? Because even if he's scoring in China, how are we going to know? We don't follow the Chinese league, right? And who does he, around here? You think, do you think the guys of the FIGC are following the Chinese league? No, 
They're not. Uh, they're, they're, well, the, they're guy, the, the guys of the Fiji Chi aren't following anybody, really. No, they're not. They're all losers. But um, <laughs> it's funny because Bolotelli is scoring goals and, and, and Yadzui didn't score any goals against Sweden. So it's not, it's not ironic. Um, but, yeah, no, it, he should be with the Yadzui. He should have got, got a chance uh, realistically, you know, with Nice. Ever since he joined Nice, he should have gotten a call-up at least once or twice to, to give him a chance. He never did because the old boys club there, you know, I – I'm not going to talk. I'm not going to get into that. However, now he should be getting a chance. We saw what Immobile and Bilotti did in the two legs against Sweden. They didn't score. They, they, they didn't finish. They didn't have the clinical. They didn't have the mentality to score. Balotelli's done on a big stage before at a young age. We're saying Balotelli's young and stuff. Great. He's 23. Balotelli scored two goals against Neuer's Germany at 21 years old. So, but again, like I said, Balotelli has a technical ability like, like anybody. Like, he's... He's so solid on the ball, and you can see with the goals he's scoring at Nice, these aren't goals. You know, he's also obviously had his fair share, you know, tap and easier goals. But the one goal he scored in the, in the League One Cup last week, uh, uh, Sari, Sari, he gave the ball to him on the top of the box, and he didn't even one touch, a one-timer. He took it out, and he just curled in. The goalie didn't even move. And it's like only a few players can really do that. And, uh, you know, I think he, his head is on straight now. I, I, see, I see what you say with the MLS. You know, I, I, you know it would be really cool. Like I'm, I, I go, I'd go absolutely crazy if he ever came to Toronto. You know what I mean? But um, I think he, he's going to – I don't think he's going to go back to Italy because the media treats him like, treats him like garbage, to be honest mm-hmm. with you. Yeah. Um, the media in – the Italian media, they've, they've been – well, the Italian fans are racist. A lot of them are racist. I don't think I think Balotelli had one problem with racism in France so far, but I think it was really early in his career. But the Italians are very racist to him, um, which is unfortunate. And the media just they they hassle over everything. Anything he does, if he's seen in public doing anything, if he's driving if he's driving a nice car, they 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 they'll chirp, they'll, they'll make an article saying why is he driving a nice car? Like no one no like no other superstars drive nice cars. Like, you know what I mean? And guys who make a lot of money. It's just, it's this little thing. And he did say, like, I'm not going to come back. Like, so I don't think he's going to come back to Italy. You know, it's great to, if, I think if he does come back to Italy, like, and if he does come back to, you know, a team that can't afford his wages, I think it has to be Milan because he's not going to join. I don't think he's going to join Inter again because. It, After it just, what he, uh, yeah, when he put on the jersey and, and yeah, uh, yeah, when he, he threw the jersey on the ground, Inter jersey. Yeah. Yeah, and and I don't know if you've seen, but every big game like Milan Derby, Milan Juve, Balotelli comes at a San Siro. He watches. He was there. He was there for Milan Juve at the end of October. Balotelli came. He was there. Like he's there to watch, and I, I think he's a Milan fan. I, I truly do. So I don't think he's gonna. I don't like. Like you said, I don't think he's gonna go to one of those teams, and the the, the provinciality teams aren't, won't be able to afford him. I do think he takes his talents, you know, somewhere else. Maybe Spain. Maybe if he wants to try a Spain, like I, I don't know, I'm I'm not too sure. It's a it's a tricky one. It's going to be interesting come the summertime if if Nice don't make Champions League because, you know, it's going to be it's going to be interesting to see where he goes honestly because it, you know he could go back to England if he really wanted to. Um, I'm sure an English team could use his services. I couldn't I, I don't know I couldn't think of one right now. I don't know. I think I think the one thing and again you know I think regardless of where he ends up, I think. Um, with ha- having Raiola as his agent, he's going to get paid somewhere. And I don't think the wages is going to be the biggest thing for him. No, I don't yeah, think he's no. going to, he's not going to be, well, I want to get my wage. I don't think that's going to prevent him from no, play. making money. Uh, he's going he's, he's to want to play when he's, he's 27. He's, he's kind of, you know, he's kind of had a new lease on life in this terms of his career and everything like that. And I think, you know, Tay is not going to be the, 
pay, yeah, exactly. The pay is not going to be the biggest factor for him in terms of, you know, who can offer because off this year at his age, he's still obviously is worth a good amount of money. But I think, you know, the, the biggest thing for me that I want to see in 2018 is him make his Azuri return. I think that's really what I think regardless of where he ends up, I think that's what everyone can agree on, that they want to see him back and making a difference for the national team. Yeah, and, and again, we've seen on Instagram, he's always, and he's said in interviews, like, you know, I want to be back with the Azuri. I want to be there. So, like, you know, it's just weird that, you know, I, I hope that he can continue form, and I hope that the new coach gives him a chance in the friendly in March. I don't know. I don't care. Give him an opportunity to be scoring goals. He's scoring almost every game. Um, and, you know, I, I'm a huge fan of him, so obviously I have some bias. But it's not even me being biased now. He's literally scoring almost every single game. So he's one of the leaders on, on Nice, truly. So, I mean, I, I hope uh, he gets a look, and I hope he, you know, finds that if he does leave Nice in the summer, I hope he gets a good team. And I I take him at open arms of Milan, honestly. I, I love the guy. So I think I have, I think I have four jerseys. Four jerseys of him? Four or five? I don't so even know. So you really love the guy, clearly. I really, I truly, because I've always saw he's he's had the skill to, to do, to be a, a, a world-class player, truly. I thought he'd be a world-class player. Um, and it's too bad Mila had to sell him. We I don't think we sold him because we had, we sold him because we had to for money because we got 20 million euros from Liverpool uh, because we were so poor at that time. Because he actually had a really good season that, that year. We were really bad. He had, I think he had like 15 goals and eight assists. As a striker, he was the only he was the only one who could do anything. Um, you, you know, when, when you're a striker and you you look you look uh, behind you in the lineup and you see a stacked midfield of Soli Muntari, Ricardo Montolivo, and Andrea Poli, uh, I don't know how many goals you're gonna score. But um, Balotelli had a really good year that year, and, uh, and I, I would like to see him in the league. And I don't want to see him at Juve or Inter, to be honest with you, or even at Roma or Napoli. I don't think he's gonna be able to go to any of those teams. I think it comes like at least going to be. I think, there's a, I think there's a good chance just to kind of wrap up the conversation. Yeah, but, no, sorry. Yeah, sorry for ranting. No, 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 no. I, I think it's, it's good because I think you know, um, you know, a lot of people do forget about a guy like Balotelli because he has been so you know, it's been a couple of years out of Italy, obviously, yeah. and he hasn't been you know in the national team picture for quite some time. But I think the one team that really could possibly afford him again, I think it really would depend on what type of role he's looking for and if he would be willing to play as maybe a backup and a guy who would occasionally um, start in, in games obviously of course would be PSG if he's doing so well in France PSG can definitely afford his wage he's definitely has a big team a, 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 well yeah but I mean listen, listen you, you, Cavani's obviously the main guy um, as the striker and he's doing fantastic yeah. but I mean if you're a team like PSG again depending on where they finish this year they can. You need. You need more depth. You need just not. You need multiple scores. Or even a monocle. Play. You could go to monocle. Monocle have an exciting project as well. So again, I, I don't. I think it's going to be. I think he's going to have plenty Maybe. of suitors off of this strong year. So, you know, Joe, what do you what do you think about this to kind of wrap up? I, I see him going uh, to either Spain or remaining in France. I don't. Monaco most likely. PSG. I doubt it, just because they have. Cavani, Mbappe, and they probably are looking for another winger, not an out-and-out striker. But I could see him going to Spain, like what Simone Zaza did with Valencia. Like a kind Valencia of, move, and kind of, re, yeah. re, uh, you know, uh, have his career reborn. Or he'll go to the Atletico United Madrid, States. Atletico Madrid, maybe. Yeah, Atletico Madrid, if, if they sell, be. if Griezmann leaves, you know, maybe there's the possibility of that. But again, yeah. he's going to have options. He's going to have suitors. And I think it really depends you know, if he's going to want 
if money's going to be his driving factor or if he's going to be saying, hey, I like this project, I like the coach, I like the environment, I'll take a little bit of less money to afford um, so you guys can afford to, to bring me on and we can do something special. So I think, again, his biggest thing for 2018 is to get back to the Azzurri, and I think, um, you know, that's definitely going to happen in my opinion. I think it's yeah. only a matter of time. And, and wherever he lands, hopefully we see him back in the Azzurri at some point and that really he, uh, he continues, uh, he's matured. I think he's, he's earned a second chance. So hopefully he gets oh, it for sure. uh, at some point somewhere. And for sure he'll, he'll go somewhere because a guy that young and with that kind of talent uh, won't be off the market. Uh, so saying that, uh, gentlemen, uh, any final thoughts on uh, on the week ahead in, in Serie A before we uh, wrap up? One thought, you know, it's going to be a big uh, Coppa Italia Milan Inter Derby next week that I'm excited for. Oh, yes, absolutely. So that's going to be something, uh, you know, after the holidays and when you're, when you're still kind of maybe sitting on your couch and you're kind of still full from all the food and everything like that, you guys can uh, get a Derby, which is it's quite the treat um, a couple of days after. It's quite the Christmas gift after the holiday season. For sure. Definitely. For sure. Uh, and then I just want to add one thing that's kind of a little bit off topic. It's about the national team. So basically this week, there was a report out of Spain. I don't know if you guys read about I this, that, uh, that the uh, Spanish Federation could uh, could miss the World Cup. So I'm, I'm not going to get really into this because, again, it's like beating an old horse. Um, this Because I don't want it to repeat as the Peru thing. Uh, and for those that don't know or that weren't updated, so Peru... Uh, was under threat of, of missing on the World Cup with government interference. Uh, allegedly, FIFA takes this very seriously. Uh, the congresswoman in Peru was going to put out a bill that said that the government could basically take over the federation, which is illegal. Uh, since then, earlier this month, that congresswoman has uh, ripped up that bill. It's not happening, so Peru is in the World Cup for sure. Now, in this case, another very long shot for the Azzurri. So if for all Azzurri fans here, I mean... There's a 99% chance this isn't going to go through. So we're not going to Russia 2018. But between the two, between Peru and Spain, this is probably the more legit uh, legit one. And for those that aren't aware of the situation, in, in short term, the president of the Spanish Federation was uh, removed from his post because of bribery allegations, which were not proven in court. He's alleged that the government has interfered by suspending him illegally and he's brought this up with fifa fifa this week has sent uh, a letter warning spain that they they have to step uh within their within the fifa rules the government can't interfere uh and they're they're going to send an invest a team over to investigate the situation uh it's very unlikely that this plays out but a one percent chance that somehow 100%. knowing fifa you never know with these guys because there's all they're always up to something and apparently the this former president Vilar it has connections in FIFA, so you never know uh, what they oh, what, yeah, back, what backroom dealings could happen. But something to keep in mind: I want to see if it's if it happens. I mean, if it's not going to happen, just say it so we can crush our hopes forever. But maybe <laughs> I can. I, I've written Santa a little letter, and maybe uh, maybe we can get the Azzurri to Russia with yeah, an asterisk. Yeah, so uh, with that, uh, that concludes episode six of our podcast at Italian Football Daily. Uh, for myself, uh, Joe Siracco, uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Joe Antonio C. For my colleagues, Matt Santangelo at Matt underscore Santangelo and Luca Laporta at Luca underscore Laporta. Thanks so much for joining us. Uh, Merry Christmas and happy holidays to all of you uh, around the world. And 
and uh, let's enjoy uh, some calcio this weekend. And please join us next time on the Italian Football Daily podcast. Thank you. Ciao, guys.